With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Critic. Joined, as always, by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson, out in Los Angeles. And, and last time we were speaking, we were anticipating a very busy set of updates to award season, the Globes nominations, the Critics' Choice Awards, the SAG nominations. Now all those things are, have happened, and there's a lot of updates that we need to kind of introduce to the equation at this juncture, with, starting with the Golden Globes, where it seems like La La Land has quite a bit of traction, but it's not alone. What really uh, caught you off guard about about those uh, announcements? Well, I mean, let's, let's back it up slightly. I mean, over the weekend, the European Film Awards came out. So that gave a little traction to Tony Erdmann, to A Man Called Ove, to The Happiest Day in the Life of Ali Maki. The Scandinavians have a very strong uh, set of movies this year, A Land of Mine, Fire at Sea, the documentary we keep talking about, um, and My Life is a Zucchini, which is the Swiss entry, which won animated feature film. Have you seen so, that movie yet, by the I way? I loved it. I it's still got to see it. Really I, I, I'm going to vow the next time we record that I, I will I will have watched that one, because I know it's really short, and it's supposed to be really sweet, and it's playing all these places that I've been going to. But It's actually a little more of a sort of heart tugger, you know, a little more of a lion kind of movie, you know, than you would think. Um, mm. The kind of movie that that doesn't uh, that has an edge to it. Well, it's, it's it's written by Celine Sciamma, who's a great French filmmaker. Who made Girlhood. I'm a big fan of her work. So me so too. That, uh, me too. Makes a stand out. But Tony Erdman came out ahead. So so uh, so that's that that was that was over the weekend. That basically then, settles the foreign language category for now. Well, right? a lot of those movies are are, are pretty favored. I mean, we're going to find uh, we're we're going to we're going to go over the the foreign films in greater depth uh, later in the podcast. But uh, that, that's the gr- that is the group that, that you will, part of the group that you will expect to see, uh, you know. Um, and then we have um, uh, the Golden Globes on Monday morning, bright and early. And the, you know, La La Land dominated that with seven nominations. And you can see that the dramas... Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea are sort of knocking each other out a bit. And but some surprises occurred. You know, Florence Foster Jenkins uh, did very well. Um, and and you saw things uh, come in there like, like uh, you know, Natalie Portman. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a lot of, a lot of, of movies sort of moving up like Hacksaw Ridge. Um, yeah, Mel Gibson you know, getting a Best Director nomination. Keeps, How about that? That was a surprise and 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 a, and a real uh, you know sign of 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 momentum for that movie. Now, just because the 
87, 90 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who after all are from uh, overseas, you know, if just because they want to forgive Mel, who's always been sort of a, a, a popular figure in that group, doesn't mean that the Academy is going to do the same thing. But what I do think is going to happen is that Andrew Garfield, who is very good in the uh, Scorsese film Silence also, that he is pretty much given a slot now. It's and he kind got of a funny that he's got these too. two movies, Hacksaw and Silence, where he's he's dealing with you know a crisis of faith of sorts or, or just it's very like, well cast yeah. because when you meet the the real life Andrew Garfield, it isn't a big shock to discover, and he was well cast as Spider Man too. I mean, it it isn't it isn't a shock to discover that he's a sweetie. You know, he's one of these good guys. Look, with does a great Andrew deal do, does that charisma? Is that the sort of thing where you see this actor who? He's a super young guy. We kind of know him because we've seen him in the Spider-Man movies. We saw him in the social network. He's going to burst through the noise and topple, you know, a giant like Denzel on the one hand and a strong front runner like Casey Affleck on the other. I mean, could he no, split the I'm difference? No, I'm talking about him being nominated. So you he's know, in the he, conversation. He might be ahead of someone like um, Tom Hanks. Sure, so for even Sully. though he got a Critics' Choice nomination, he didn't win. He did not get uh, a, a Globe, and he did not. In get, fact, the film uh, was uh, shut a, out. A SAG. Shut out Sully. completely from the yeah. Globes. Yeah, Sully didn't even. But Sully is the kind of movie Clint Eastwood, you know, very American, very much of an American hero. That is the kind of movie that the Academy is more likely. It's a, Sully's an interesting case of a movie that may have opened a little too early and peaked too early, and now it's difficult for the people who are promoting it to bring it back into it's it's almost like everybody's taking it for granted and there's enough other noise that's that's sort of drowning it out and poor Tom Hanks he's always he's always being taken for granted well i don't i don't feel that bad for tom hanks but i also think i mean it's a good performance it's not the most dramatic shift for him. It's a very familiar kind of That's role. That's what I mean. I, and we I, but take I, him for granted. But there's a difference between that and I, because I made this point when I was writing about John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield, where it's like, you take that kind of guy for granted, he's always so good, but he, he plays different kinds of variations on a certain kind of supporting character. I would argue character. that Sully was different than other things that Hanks it's, has done. I, it's very solid. He makes it look easy, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. He does. It's a he solid Hanksy thing that he's doing there. And the question is, do we reward solid Hanksy stuff, or do we reward something that's sort of? I guess I'm trying to say that he's. If somebody was bringing this up today, it was very interesting. What's the difference between Tom Hanks and 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 Meryl Streep? I think the difference is that Meryl Streep makes it look really hard, and Tom Hanks makes it look really easy. Well, she transforms more often than he does. She I does think. showy things. Yeah, and I mean, he she does. Reaches, he's right. he's a movie star. He. He takes the job. He's a type. <laughs> he does the job. He's a certain but, type. But is is it it? No, it's not that he's a certain type. Yes, I really disagree absolutely. with that. The I only mean, time I've seen Tom involved. Hanks. When is Tom Hanks? I'm not saying that he. There's no skill to that. To being Tom Hanks, I'm sure it's really hard. What he did. But, what he did in in United in uh, in the um, uh, Captain. Uh, Captain Phillips. Thank you. That's a different part. But but then you know the the then he puts Which on he, a bunch of makeup in that Wachowski's thing. I thought that was the most dramatic shift for him, but it just didn't. Was terrible. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. So he's got a it's little square that he works in. And he didn't do well when he did that 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 crazy comedy with the Coen Brothers. But those are like right. his two worst ever. Now speaking you know? of, of movies with the word captain, we should talk about uh, Captain Fantastic. 
uh, which Viggo is Mortensen. very, very well. You have been championing Vigo Mortensen, and I love him too. I thought he was great in the movie, and That's I'm delighted. That's a transformation. I that mean, has been every time. For. That has he, been. I mean, I also have. To, I mean, I did a SAG uh, screening for this. I was asked to moderate Q and A with him, where he received this extensive uh, standing ovation when he first came out. I mean, it really you could feel that kind of love in the room and the questions from the actors because each time out he's so different, and yet. This time, it's, it's one of those roles that could just become so wishy-washy. I mean, they, there were, what I read was that there were com comedic actors who were up for this part, and what he does with it is he deepens it, and he does something that's, I think, much more mature and sophisticated. And so, you know, to, I would say that this should, he should be much more seriously a part of the conversation, even if you have these I think he's in people. it now. I think, I think what, what's happened is that now everyone will check out the movie. That's what this is about. These prior, you know, when you have the, 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 the Globes and SAG both coming up forward for, for Viggo Mortensen, you have to say, well, I better, if, if you haven't seen it already, I bet, I better check that out. So, so, they will. so the, Hell or High Water is doing well. Hacksaw Ridge is doing well. Lion is doing well. well how about and of course, um, the top three, Manchester Moonlight yeah. and La La Land. None of that's changed radically, but let's talk about Tom Ford for a second in Nocturnal Animals. Now, he got a Best Director nomination alongside Mel, Michael and screenplay. Sh and screenplay. Michael Shannon did not get a supporting actor nomination, but Aaron Tyler Johnson, as the gross bad guy in this completely ridiculous movie, did, which who knows I maybe. I think what's going on here is that for whatever reason, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association drank the Kool-Aid on Nocturnal Animals, but SAG didn't. So that's interesting to it me. It is very interesting because... And more significant that SAG didn't than that the Globes did. Well, from an acting in, perspective, it's kind of a ridiculous movie in terms of what it's having these actors to do. And they're very, these are very excessive, you know, histrionic performances for a reason. It's motivated by a narrative that's sort of a story within a story. But I don't think that the Writers Guild or the Writers Branch of the Academy are going to be as impressed with the screenplay for Nocturnal Animals as this group was. And I also don't think that, that the actors will be. So it's, 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 it's just, just a, uh, a hunch on my part that there were a couple of, like for example, the SAG Awards on Wednesday. Emily Blunt is not going to be in the Oscar conversation. Now when the SAG Awards did put Brian Cranston in and, Mer and Helen Mirren for Trump. You had to pay attention Trumbo, to that. Trumbo, Trumbo. Trumbo, Trumbo. <laughs> Important yeah, distinction. <laughs> I have Trump on the brain. Don't Trumbo. That was, that was significant. You had to take that seriously. Um, but I don't think we have to take, uh, I, mean, I, I take Emily Blunt seriously as a major actress and movie star, but not in that particular movie, Girl on a Train. What about um, Haley Steinfeld? We, have, we talked about her before for Edge of Seventeen. It was nice to see her get that Golden Globes nomination. Now, obviously, the Globes have more categories. They so. have way more categories, and so you have a, a whole drama thing, and then you have the comedy thing, and that opens up all sorts of, of possibilities, but I don't think so. Um, I'm glad to see Deadpool, too. Because the actress race I mean. is so competitive, yeah. you know? So if, if, if the Globes, I mean, excuse me, if SAG leaves out Annette Benning, then you have 
to wonder if the academy will leave her in, and I will say yes, they will. It's a, that's that's kind of his, curious, though, right? Because what? I mean, I based on my my you know, I I learned from you and from talking about these things that when you look at the guilds, you are also looking to some degree at some portion of the academy support for different kinds of things because a lot of them are academy members. Yes, so you so. can say that Fences is looking very good. You can say that uh, Manchester by the Sea, because SAG is super important. But the but one of the things that happened is that they didn't give La La Land an ensemble. Now, why didn't they do that? They didn't do that because it's a two-hander. It's just the two actors. It's not a big, sprawling cast. So you have, you know, an advantage for Manchester or or Fences or Moonlight in that in that scenario. The precursor for the Best Picture Oscar usually is the winner of the SAG Ensemble, which was Spotlight last year and has been often, often the eventual Best Picture winner. So this is an anomalous year if by some chance... La La Land does end up winning Best Picture. Do you see where what I mean? Right, and yet it really does feel like a Best Picture frontrunner. I mean, it is partly so because Manchester and Moonlight keep knocking each other out. But in the preferential ballot situation at the Oscars, as I was discussing with my box office pundit Tom Brueggemann. Um, you have a numbers deal where the preferences are going to just stack everybody up a certain way, and there won't be a situation where somebody's knocking somebody out. It, it also, I mean, because there can be so many titles. I mean, everything that we're talking about could be a contender. I mean, you could have. It could be seven or eight, though, not ten this year, based on how many people are passionate. Last year, there were only eight. It could be like that again. Well, there, there's a lot of support, as we keep saying, sort of clustered around three main titles. So and then everything else sort of gets scattered around. So Fences, Hacksaw, Hell or High Water, Lion, you know, Arrival, Loving. Loving is losing steam because it got a nomination for Ruth Nega for Globe, but it didn't get it for SAG. And so that's, that's, a, that's a bad thing for that movie. Let's talk about Hidden Figures for a second because now we, we can talk a little bit more openly about it since reviews have run since last week. Um, this is a movie that I think a lot of people are respectful of, but it's, it's a little bit like The Help a few years ago in the sense that it's Very a, sort similar. Of a tear-jerking crowd-pleaser about an important piece of history, and yet, you know, not everybody responds super well to this kind of saccharine. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a critic's picture, for one no. thing. So, so that, that's one thing to keep in mind. It's, it is a lot like The Help, because it's not that well-directed, she yeah. said. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's really, uh, the actors are great, but, and it's entertaining, and you feel good about their achievements, and, you know, it's all very... Uh, uh, satisfying in some ways, but it's really not a very good movie. Yeah, it's like, I don't hate it, but I don't like it. It's one of, one of those kinds of conundrums, you know? I'm, I'm fine with people who see it and weep about, you know, the amazing story of these African-American women who had a critical role in the, in the early space program, and there are some nice moments, but God, all those big monologues and some of the dialogue is just so cheesy. I mean, it's just, 
I, I just really wish it, there were a smarter version of this movie that was made because the story you is You and I keep wanting the indie version. I mean, that is a mainstream. That's Fox 2000. It's a big studio. It's, it's, it's definitely designed to play for the mainstream. And then the other movie that uh, got reviewed over the weekend, which we've been kind of dancing around, is, is Scorsese's Silence, which seems to be completely shut out. It would, and that's sort of shocking, honestly. I feel like in another year, this movie may have had a little bit more traction. As you said, Andrew Garfield's very good in it, but also it's Scorsese doing something very meticulous, I think very artful. It's not perfect, but it's, it's an experience. I know people who really, really love this movie. It's, it's definitely got a lot going on. And certainly Rodrigo Prieto's cinematography is, is the, the big... That is the one where I can example. I can say I can say without any hesitation that that will be nominated for best cinematography. Um, it is stunningly beautiful. The movie is 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 extraordinarily gorgeously wrought. At the same time that it's and beautifully acted, of course. I don't believe that this is going to be a screenplay nomination or even possibly a director nomination or even possibly a best picture nomination. I think I don't think any of those things are are certain as certain as cinematography. It's kind uh, of like the flip side of Hidden Figures in the sense that Hidden Figures is like big and showy and this movie's super muted and meditative in a way that not everybody loves. They might think it's too cerebral. You know, it's funny it it compares in some ways to to the Revenant, in in the sense that it's about a very difficult shoot. Sure, and Andrew Garfield you know? looks kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio growing that beard out and wandering the woods, trying to avoid the uh, Japanese forces chasing it's him around. It's all it's all you know this sort of tortured people and tortured situation, and you can just imagine how chilling and difficult and you know people on you know crosses being being crucified and and poor hot water being poured over burning skin and and all sorts of starvation i mean poor poor adam driver i i'm i'm like his mother i want to give him some soup you know he's he's starving i want to give him some coach, he, some lessons on how to have a good accent in a movie cuz he does not sound portuguese to me they all Sorry. tried to do portuguese <laughs> without overdoing it and i actually think garfield did the best job but you're you're right he doesn't he try too hard Right. He somehow makes it look effortless. I agree with you. Javier Bardem. There's a slight accent that's not too much, not too little. Anyway, I, 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 but I have to say, I mean, I was raised a Christian. I am an Episcopalian. I went to church. I took communion. I know my Bible. You know, I really do get all this stuff. It's not the same as the Catholics. It's not the same as the fervor and the religious sort of, you know, uh, missionary zeal that these that these guys are, are talking about. But but I still the the movie puts you in this very difficult intellectual um place where you're trying to sort of understand why everybody feels the way that they do and are doing what they do, but you don't really get invested in it in well, their points just of view. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as, as a guy who grew up in a Jewish world and then sort of distanced himself, this is like several degrees removed from an experience I would ever have. And one of the key points of the movie is sort of the, the way in which these uh, captured priests are, are tortured is by being forced to, to step on an image of Jesus. And to me, that's like, just just do it. We won't, we won't you know, Jesus will understand and you'll get away. And, and the fact that the tension has to hinge on that 
I felt like it was there was something about that that says it tells you how precise this movie is attuned to the mindset of the viewer. And and I'm sure that when the Pope watched this movie, he saw that conundrum in a certain kind of way. But I but I don't know if the movie successfully makes the case that it's something other people can understand. And uh, well, the point is is that is that you can take your God and your um, culture and and your missionary zeal and try to impose it on another culture and another uh, God and, and, and another uh, approach to to religion but do you really have the right to do that and and that's where the character played by Liam Neeson comes in and and so the whole thing is is fascinating but but you don't I, I didn't get invested in it. It it's it remain even though it's a spiritual quest. I can relate more to the to the quest for the Holy Grail or something. I don't understand why this was so opaque for me. Well, it's also fascinating to read about all the different I mean, the the years and years in the works, right? That at one point, Gal Garcia Bernal was going to be in it. And all these different people were involved and it's it's the story that Scorsese wanted to make for so long and, and, and it kept getting away from him when you watch it it's it's fine I mean it's it's a very studied uh, kind of treatment of a certain mindset certainly a polished period piece in certain ways but it doesn't feel to me like some sort of big statement certainly not like uh, the last temptation of Christ was this sort of radical. I loved you know, that movie. Achievement. I loved it, and and I re I loved the book, and I loved what he did with it, and it all made sense to me, and I I got it. I understood the fervor around the controversy after it it opened. I, I totally uh, you know Passion of the Christ. I even understood yeah. everything about that. I know, I know. And on all every the side, I understood. But, but here's, here's uh, I don't the thing. know. Do you, the, the, you know, we were arguing about this. I mean, I would put this in the category of a noble failure. I would also put it in in the. And it's also beautifully wrought, like the Revenant. It is gorgeous. You it's know, not it's an a artist compromised, going for what he wants, gotcha. not caring about the audience I, I, at all. I, I I got I got what you're saying. I, I don't think it's a failure though. I mean, it it. it, it, it it's a movie that's imminently watchable and very well acted and, and great to it's look torture, at. It's torture, Eric. It's it is torture. not Passion of the Christ is torture. Passion <laughs> of the Christ is torture. There is a no, fundamental difference. I, this, is, this, this, this is unrelenting. That's why I compare it to The Revenant. It's sad. It's, it's, it's a sad it's, little it's, movie. But there's yeah. no, there's no little, action but, component. Well, no, there is that. I think there actually the, the first act has tension to it. The way that I described it when I was writing about it is it's sort of a man-on-a-mission movie because it's two priests sent to Japan to recover um, one of their missing colleagues, and they're sort of hiding out, and it feels like it's building to something, and then instead it just kind of dilutes itself with a lot of repetitive scenes of, of running around and, and whispery communication between different sides and things like that. So I wish, it, I wish it had a little bit more of that. It could be a little bit more thrilling, but the, the possibility is there just enough to see you know, what, what, what this movie is playing around with. And certainly there are some amazing sequences. You could say that uh, uh, Scorsese's longtime editor, Thelma Thunmaker, uh, uh, is probably, if not at the top of her game, doing a pretty good job of show, showing you It's all you beautifully why made. That's not yeah. the issue. The issue, the, that's why I say I don't think the screenplay is going to end up being, being you know, recognized. It, there's something, there's some... It's sort of like if you look at if you look at um, Ang Lee's uh, movie 
uh, Billy Lynn's ha long halftime walk, you could say it's ahead of its time. <laughs> and if you look at at rules don't apply, the the Mar you know the Warren Beatty movie, it, there's something about it that's behind it behind its time. In other yeah. words, it was, he didn't do it for 30 years. Well, maybe he should have done it before, long ago. And maybe Scorsese should have done this a long time ago too. There's something out of time. It doesn't resonate for some reason. Well, I mean. That's probably true. I think people should see it. It's a big screen experience. If you're a diehard Scorsese person, I think well, you, you have will, to see it. If know, that's true, and anyone who's a cinephile will see it. And and uh, and, and they I'm won't not, be totally disappointed. There I'm are not things dismissing to it. Right. I'm saying it doesn't quite work. Sure, sure. So the other big award story this week, which we have to talk about before we go any further, is the foreign language. Oscar shortlist. Now, uh, nine titles came out on Thursday night. Uh, one of them will win the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. There are movies that we've been talking about for months that we expected to make the cut that did not. The most obvious uh, things that were snubbed were Neruda and Paul Verhoeven's Elf. I mean, this is just shocking to me. I mean, I, I, obviously, Tony Erdman being on there, it's still the front runner. You have something like The Salesman from Oscar Farhadi. We know he's liked. But to see something like It's Only the End of the World, Xavier Dolan's film, which still has no U.S. distribution and was hated at Cannes, although I know it won an award, and not these other two movies is just, it's shocking, really. I mean, I feel like there is, it's, it's just, a, it undermines the strength of this category to celebrate international cinema, unless I'm missing something. I mean, enlighten me. Well, basically, there's a very arcane, pretzel-twisted <laughs> way that they put these lists together. There's the larger committee of like 300 people in L.A. who are, have the time and the energy and who are mostly retired, who, who, who are, form a kind of community of people that go to all these screenings. They have to literally show up at the screening room, sign in prove that they saw the movie. They have to see 15 or so movies, depending on which group they're in of assigned movies they're supposed to see. They don't have to see all of them, but they have, if they don't, it's amazing. It's like the, the rules for this are so crazy. If you want to know everything, go see, you know, read my article about it. But, but what you have here, if you look at this list is there are six of them that were picked by the big committee. And then there, um, another committee met yesterday, Thursday, of maybe 20 people who are picked by this chairman of the committee, Mark Johnson, a producer who's been doing this for years. And he puts what the group together that has better taste, basically. They're, they're like the electoral college, right? They're like, right. by the way, you should also consider these movies because they're good. So what the because hell? Because they, they don't want them to leave out Tony Erdman or, or Land of Mine or, or Land you know, of Mine whatever. Land of Mine is just okay. I mean, I was just I love Land of it's Mine. Okay. I thought it's, it was great. So, it, but let's assume that, I mean, if you were looking at this list of, of nine titles, Based on what I had heard, I knew that My Life as a Zucchini was playing well, that A Man Called Ove was playing well, that Paradise was playing well, The King's Choice was playing well, The Salesman was playing well. So that's one, two, three, four, five right there. I have to assume that Xavier Dolan was added by the committee and that Tana, perhaps, from Australia was added. I think Land of Mine probably played well. They know that this is a European list. They know that, except for the Farhadi, really, this is all Eurocentric or Scandinavian. There's three Scandinavian movies on here. So they wouldn't have added a Scandinavian movie. 
Well, Tom right? is Australian, although it's an Aboriginal film directed by two so white So there guys. you go. So they've got that, and they've got The Salesman. Is well, where's not... South America, Africa, Asia? Asia! What happened there? I mean, it's just so it's so strange. I mean, the, the very idea of a category called foreign language, you could argue, is problematic unto itself. And there have been other kinds of weird things with this category in the past, like when um, the band's visit didn't make the cut because there was too much English language in it, which was the way two Those cultures... Those rules are in. fair. Those yeah, are fair rules con- to me. They also cause issues, but this is more problematic. It's just that movies that we know for a fact should be in a category like this somehow don't make the cut. There is no knowing things. for a fact, Eric. I mean, the We problem felt with very this, confident that... There is no been, knowing for a fact. The point is, is that this, is, this list is subject to the eccentricities and taste and ver- varietal range of these particular people, and there is no expert in foreign films. There is no such thing. I mean, first of all, we're starting with the weird choices of the individual countries themselves. Right. Then, then, then we have you know a, a group of people who range from costume designers and 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 producers and executives who worked you know in marketing you know thirty years ago or whatever. You know, these people are very you know idiosyncratic at best so whatever art you know that's why mark johnson is trying to impose on some level another layer of taste on this and they still came up with a very strange very strange list but by the way i haven't seen them all i haven't seen tana i have not seen the king's choice or paradise you know, these are movies I still have to check out. Maybe I think they're that's great. Fair. That's fair. We should we should watch all of them and, and then completely pass judgment about this. But we have seen movies that didn't make the cut. In, I think in they thought Elle was already successful. I think you know Elle is up for that's, you know. But that's like an absurd metric to use in a decision like this. Well, I mean, what do, I would be fascinated to be in that meeting because those people had to argue it out and figure out what they thought the three movies should be that would be added to the six that were picked by the main group. And, you know, that conversation would be very interesting to hear. Some of it reminds me of just a number of years ago, not that long ago, actually, when the documentary branch went through changes, led primarily by Michael Moore to to help this uh, category, the documentary category, have more clarity in terms of what it took to qualify. I feel like maybe something here needs to be adjusted to help this process along. Maybe it has to I do with I couldn't how- agree more, but there is still a problem with this category that has always existed, which is that there is no branch of the academy that is full of experts in foreign film, <laughs> except for... So I would argue that the way to do this, because at least the documentary branch, even though I think Moore did a great service and the list has been so improved since he opened it up, you know, to everyone in the branch trying to watch as many movies as possible, I actually think... But they are still documentary experts. They are still filmmakers who are documentarians. This group, what you could do is get rid of this so-called community, which, by the way, is very subject to lobbying by publicists, incredibly much so. They know who every single one of those people are. They are they are wined and dined, and as much as the Golden Globes are, you know, those people. So I would I would say go digital. Get it. You know, the people who vote for animation do watch them on their computers. They do they do see things at home. If you could open it up to the whole world instead of this group of people in L.A., I think it would make a big difference. And also, maybe there's something to be said for the way in which people pay attention to these movies throughout the year. I mean, 
I'm not just saying they should read IndieWire to make sure they're up to speed on, uh, you know, what's going on in world cinema, but this conversation starts much earlier in the year, and the idea that all of a sudden everybody needs to get caught up seems a little odd to me. I mean, maybe, you know, in these movies, much many of which open in different territories months, months uh, earlier, uh, start getting out there, then people who could potentially get behind them should be aware of them, and maybe there's some disconnect That's more there. like the documentary process. I agree. I agree that this is the at least worth trying, you know? Um, I think there are people who are part of this community who don't want that that special feeling to go away. You know, I guess the, the, the one question that, that Mark Johnson raised um, when I spoke to him about this was, was whether whether there would be people who wanted to do, to see these this many movies, but it isn't that many over the course. I mean, the people on the documentary side see way more than fifteen movies in order to come up with their selections, yeah. and I should think that these people around, if they were doing it all year long, would would be able to do that. Yeah, tough life. You have to watch. Too but many wait, it, we, we have to wait. The, but that's not that's not possible. The the de- the part that we can't change is the part where the different countries submit and their deadline is like September 30th, October 1st. It's around there. So this can't even start until then. So to be continued, we'll watch both of those, or all of these movies and and, then reassess their quality. The one movie that everybody's talking about this week that I cannot weigh in on is this nuclear bomb of a release, Rogue One. I, I missed it, and I'm kind of loving this. I, I was hanging out in Costa Rica watching hour-long first features from people you've never heard of. So I like to think it gives me a little street cred that I missed the all media in New York. But you know, now I've been avoiding spoilers all week. So, so I uh, went to the premiere, and there was a big takeover on uh, Sunset Boulevard or Hollywood Hollywood Boulevard, and, and there was all this. You know, tents and and you know security, and they 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 stuck your phone into a little you know airtight bag and clipped it, and then you got it back and took it with you and hoped that it was off so that it wouldn't ring during the movie and you couldn't open the bag, and then when you left, they undid the bag and you could take it back, and it was very efficient. But anyway, the the uh, the movie there was all these Star Wars groups that they had imported in there, you know, real fans who knew every reference and jumped up and down. And it does. Um, I did read A.O. Scott in the New York Times on this, and I, while well, I enjoyed it a bit more than he did, I get his point. It is so much, and this is what the trailer told me too. It's so much. Um, you know, just putting your hand on all the, all the, you know, there's another droid, there's the villain, there's the plucky young hero, you know, fighting for the rebellion. There are the characters that are going to support her on this mission. (laughs) You know, it's, it's all, there's the, the father with ambiguous, uh, motivations. Dangerously close to spoilers here, and I'm terrified that I'm going to. No, 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 Mads Mikkelsen. Oh no, Mads Mikkelsen is a movie that's, no, and and then the other thing, the other spoiler, and he had and he wrote around the spoilers very cleverly. Uh, Tony did. Well, he I has thought. to. He has yeah. to. They'll kill him. But complaining, complaining about it all the way because he's saying basically that you're trapped into shilling for Disney <laughs> because of all of this. Because there's this amazing the visual effect thing in there that you saw us talking about at the meeting this week that one of our colleagues 
absolutely thought was the worst thing he'd ever seen. And I thought it was the most extraordinary breakthrough, you know, for visual effects, you know, sort of frontiers of visual effects. And, and, and I thought it was amazing, you know, so it takes all kinds. Well, we'll have to keep that one going once I see the movie and, and I'll, I'll add my voice to it. But I, like I said, I think I had a pretty good excuse hanging out down there in Central America. So it's a bit of a complain. scruffy thing. You can tell that that the director was not entirely in charge. Well, and I, was, Gareth Edwards like, is a really it. interesting guy, too, because he made this movie Monsters a number of years ago. Very had, low budget, know, though. Yeah, but he did all the effects on his laptop, and it, basically it was an alien invasion story where he used real-life uh, disaster wreckage to, to kind of place the aliens in a landscape that looked like they created the disasters. I mean, he's a very innovative filmmaker with low resources, which is exactly why it doesn't make sense to go to a place where all these other people control the decisions you make. And he did Godzilla, and it was a very interesting kind of movie. It didn't totally work, but as a contrast to the kind of typical, you know, rapid-fire cutting and so forth in those kinds of movies, it, he's an interesting filmmaker on the scale. I would love to see him go back to do something smaller and more original, not just because I love people doing that, but specifically because he's the filmmaker who it sounds like he works best in that mode. And, you know, the paychecks are what they are and the expectations are what they are. So, so that happened. Um, so next week we'll have other stuff to go through, but I feel like we've now basically seen everything that we'll be left to talk about for this award season. I mean, yes, if, if any, you know, if, if, if as far as awards are concerned, Rogue One, you know, maybe it'll get into the visual effects race, which at the moment should be won by, by the Jungle Book, one would hope. Um, and then um, I'm not going to see um, the Will Smith movie, Collateral <laughs> Beauty. Uh, I want to go see it with a bunch so of people and, and, and figure out how to uh, you know, turn it into the next Rocky Horror or something, but life's just too short. I and over the stuff. holidays, I hope people go to see 20th Century Women, which is very good, Almodovar's Julieta, uh, Neruda, which is finally opening, which you and I have been fans of for a very long time, Pablo Lorraine's Chilean Oscar entry. And Lion is very good uh, all right. as well. <laughs> it's all relative. Patriot's Day is okay, too. You know. uh, and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into, uh, we'll, we'll dig into the foreign language films. And probably not Assassin's Creed. We'll see, though. Anything's possible. There's, a lot, there's still a, little, a few little curiosities lurking around there. We'll talk about Live by Night at some point as well. Oh, did you see Passengers? I have not seen Passengers. I have heard mostly negative things about Passengers. It I seems like it'll be for hard passengers. for us to see that one. Yes. <laughs> that is not you. You are not the target audience for that movie. Well, I like a sure. good. I like a good space opera, but uh, it sounds like this one is, is probably not going to be my. So maybe team. we'll do those. Uh, are you going to see that? We'll see. If if okay. if you really need me to, Anne, I'll. I'll, I'll no, I do not. I do not. I think I think our readers will get by if we don't review passengers. Okay, so Star Wars it is next time. See you then.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.